All right, before I start the show, I want to tell you about our sponsor, MetPro. Last spring, you might remember that I did an episode with MetPro's founder, Angelo Poli, about how his company has helped thousands of people understand their bodies better through metabolism tracking. Well, MetPro just launched a brand new tool that lets you see the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. So you can start tracking, analyzing, and learning what your metabolism responds to best. Now, my listeners get up to one month for free when you sign up, so head to metpro.co slash getfitguy to learn more. Welcome to the Get Fit Guy's quick and dirty tips to slim down and shape up. My name is Brock Armstrong and I'm the Get Fit Guy. And this week we're going to talk about the benefits of swimming for health and fitness. A new study that shows the evidence of the health and well-being benefits of swimming was released earlier this summer, and I for one am rubbing my flippers together with glee. Despite being born and raised in the cold, landlocked prairies of Canada, you know, I've been a swimmer my entire life, and I've always believed that there's more to the activity than simply splashing around in your skivvies or being pitted up against your fellow pimply peers in a 100-meter sprint. This new report was produced by the Swimming and Health Commission, and the commission was established by an organization called Swim England to identify evidence for health benefits of swimming and to promote future research in the area. It's a rather long, detailed, and extremely well-referenced document, and it's called The Health and Well-Being Benefits of Swimming, and I encourage you all to go check it out, but right now, I will attempt to highlight what I found were the most interesting takeaways from the study. So, (laughs) let's dive in. Right off the top, it is estimated in this study that those who swim for recreational or competitive purposes are eight times more likely to meet general physical activity guidelines, which include being active for at least 150 minutes per week. Long-term swim training can also improve cardiorespiratory fitness or endurance in certain subsets of the population as well, such as healthy prepubertal girls and adults, women during pregnancy, children with asthma, and adults with osteoarthritis, which is a rather common condition affecting joints and causing pain and stiffness. We'll get into each of those a little later, but you can see how far into the deep end this research went. The study states that it is clear from the evidence that being able to swim and swimming regularly can have considerable health and well-being benefits. Research has identified that any amount of swimming participation compared to those who engaged in none was associated with a 28% and a 41% reduction in all-cause and cardiovascular disease cause mortality, respectively. The striking evidence of where swimming has afforded significantly improved health, quality of life, and sense of community are additionally impressive. So, how does swimming boost health? Well, Most studies exploring the relationship between physical activity and physical health have generally focused on activities like walking, cycling, running, or aerobics classes, despite the fact that swimming and other forms of aquatic exercise, like aqua jogging or aqua aerobics, for example, are some of the most popular choices for meeting physical activity recommendations. This is often attributed to the fact that exercise in an aquatic environment confers many benefits, 
like minimized weight-bearing stress, a humid environment, and a decreased heat load. Well, of course, unless you swim in one of those oddly warm therapeutic pools that I had in my neighborhood as a kid, where it was really hard to distinguish my sweat from the pool water, but that's another story. The study compared the health aspects of swimming with alternative forms of aerobic exercise and sedentary behavior. Participants included 10,518 women and 35,185 men, aged 20 to 88 years old. Now, as with most studies of this type, the majority of the participants were Caucasian and of a middle to upper socioeconomic status, which is something I know that many universities and research groups are trying to correct, seeing as this really is not a great way to draw sweeping conclusions over our much more diverse global population. But anyway, screening included a formal subjective and objective history, anthropometric measurements, blood tests, and a graded exercise test. Participants were categorized as sedentary, with no participation in activity over the previous three months, walkers, primarily engaged in a run-walk-jog at a pace that was greater than 15 minutes per mile, runners, primarily engaged in run-walk-or-jog at less than 15 minutes per mile, and swimmers, exclusively engaged in swimming activity. Now the results were pretty darn clear that all types of physical activity produced demonstrable health benefits in comparison to a sedentary lifestyle, but of all of the groups, swimming and running achieved the highest treadmill test duration and maximal metabolic equivalent levels. Although, interestingly enough, the body mass index, or BMI, of the swimmers was significantly higher than that of the runners. Now why is that? I deviated from this particular study for a few minutes to find out why the BMI might be higher in a swimmer, despite the fact that elite swimmers typically undertake 4,000 to 20,000 meters per day in their training, which burns thousands of calories. Now, the two theories that seem the most popular are number one, it has been suggested that swimming doesn't cause the appetite drop that accompanies heavy running or cycle training, so swimmers may overcompensate for the energy that they have just burned. Now, some research goes on to suggest that this is due to the cool temperatures in which swimmers train. And the second theory is that swimmers are less active outside of their training sessions because they are so tired from the hours they spend training that they sleep, sit, or otherwise avoid any real energy expenditure outside of their sessions, which to me seems less likely than reason number one. Also, when a sport is performed in water, fat provides more buoyancy than muscle mass, and this allows swimmers to have a higher percentage of fat to float more readily in the water. Instead of having to use the energy to stay horizontal, the athlete can actually focus on their stroke and kick to move them forwards. Swimmers with a lot of muscle mass may have more strength, but it ends up being wasted on the mechanics of trying to stay kind of high in the water. But there doesn't seem to be one clear reason for this BMI difference, but if you watch footage from the Olympics, you'll likely notice that each and every sport has a particular body type, and swimming does lean toward the rounded shoulders and smooth curves, which are more biomechanically useful in the water than bony angles. Correlation, causation, you choose. 
Now, back to that study where the authors conclude that swimming constitutes a valuable lifetime activity and appears to produce healthy levels of cardiorespiratory fitness and is a viable alternative to all other forms of exercise. Now, this is further supported by the results of a prospective study of the health effects of physical activity and fitness in 40,547 men, which concluded that swimmers had lower mortality rates than those who were sedentary walkers or runners, even after controlling for age, body mass index, smoking or alcohol habits, and family history. And similar results have been demonstrated by a cohort study of over 80,000 British adults where swimming participation was associated with a significantly reduced all-cause mortality rate of 28% and cardiovascular disease mortality of 41%. So clearly, heading to your local pool offers a great opportunity for aerobic activity. However, the specific interaction between physiological and hydrodynamic effects of being immersed in water are also super interesting and might be lending additional advantages. The study listed five factors that the role of water might be playing in the positive results being found. The first thing is density. The human body density is slightly less than the water. Therefore, the volume of the water displaced weighs more than the immersed body, resulting in an upward force equal to the volume of water displaced. Now, you can think of this as being like a compression stocking for the part of your body that is submerged. And the second thing is hydrostatic pressure. Pressure is proportional to the liquid density and the immersion depth, which means the deeper you go, the more pressure there is. Now, hydrostatic pressure resulting in plastic deformation of your body, meaning your body gets squeezed, shifting blood towards the heart, raising right atrial pressure in your heart and causing a cephalid displacement of your diaphragm, and cephalid means towards the head. You can think of this as a turbo boost, which reduces the work of breathing associated with your expiration, your heart's preload, its cardiac output, and the body's venous flow. Now, the third thing is buoyancy. Immersion up to your xiphoid, which is that small bump of cartilage in your sternum, offloads body weight by 60% or more, and submerging up to your C7, which is near the bottom of your cervical spine, by 75% or more. Now, buoyancy results in offloading of peripheral and spinal joints, and you can think of this as greatly reduced gravity and impact. Now, the fourth thing is viscosity. Limb movement in the water is subject to drag force and turbulence, Viscous resistance offers opportunities for strength training via the principle of loading. You can think of this as the water being like a resistance band that's been attached to all of your limbs, turning all of your movements into a strength training regime. And the fifth thing is thermodynamics. Now, water may be used over a wide range of temperatures due to its heat capacity and conduction properties. Many public pools operate around 27 to 29 degrees Celsius, although sometimes it's increased to 33.5 to 35.5 degrees Celsius for those therapeutic sessions. Now you can think of this as being like a mild icing for your sore muscles or a mild hot tub for, again, your sore muscles. 
Now you can imagine how much harder you're able to work out when the water is adding a cooling benefit that would usually be relegated to your perspiration or your respiration. After examining the effects of swimming on cardiovascular and cardiometabolic health, pulmonary health, muscle skeletal health, neurological health, health for people with disability, health for the frail elderly, health for women, specifically postmenopausal women with osteoporosis, pregnant women and women with breast cancer, well, the study summary stated that the unique nature of the aquatic environment as a medium for exercise can layer a large number of specific advantages, especially as compared to land-based exercise. Which makes sense now that we see it as an exercise environment that offers reduced weight-bearing stress, higher humidity levels, decreased heat load, and a greater margin of therapeutic safety in terms of, well, fall risks. Swimming and aquatic exercise can be seen to safely and effectively meet the needs of a wide range of individuals in both the treatment and the prevention of physical health issues. Now, in chapter two of this seven-chapter study, the researchers looked at very specific subsets of the population to see how swimming benefited them, and they began with children. A recent study in a large city in England investigated the impact of the local authority providing free swim passes to 1,011 young disadvantaged children in a pre- and post-test study. The authors found that providing free swim passes helped increase self-report physical activity levels among children, with the most notable improvements seen among those who were sedentary or insufficiently active at a baseline. Another study called Aerobic Exercise Interacts with Neurotrophic Factors to Predict Cognitive Functioning in Adolescents recruited adolescents who had, in the past two months, completed some of the following intense rowing, swimming, and triathlon training, and compared their neurocognitive performance versus age and sex-matched controls that were not engaging in regular exercise. The authors found that frequent exercisers, which could have been any of the activities I just listed, had better cognitive performance, which was attributed to increases in brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDNF. However, it was not possible to confirm or refute whether the differences in cognition among the swimmers and the controls were actually due to the swimming or simply getting more exercise in general, since we know that exercise in general <laughs> does make us smart. Now again, in 2013, a study into the cognitive benefits of swimming lessons for children reported that children participating in regular swimming lessons achieved a range of developmental milestones much earlier than the wider population, regardless of socioeconomic background or gender. The swimmers were actually between 6 and 12 months ahead of the norm in physical skills, cognitive skills, mathematics, language development, counting, and the ability to follow instructions. The reason that this is important is that these areas are considered to be the key skills used in formal education contexts, which the authors believe may give the swimmers a considerable advantage as they start their academic studies. Alright, so what about us adults? A survey among 
200 females aged between 40 and 60 years old across five cities in Korea suggested that participation in swimming was associated with improved life satisfaction, mental health, and self-perception of health. And another study of 300 adults reported that participating in swimming lessons was associated with better self-related health, including better psychological health, reduced levels of stress, and lower levels of disability. And the next category is older adults, where one study found that regular older swimmers who reported swimming between two and five times per week over a period on average of two and a half years had significantly better executive function on three tasks compared to sedentary adults of similar age and gender who did not swim. And a recent Cochrane review found some evidence that aquatic exercise improved anxiety symptoms and sleep among people with fibromyalgia. And another Cochrane review suggested that aquatic exercise has a small improvement on quality of life among people with hip and knee osteoarthritis and lower back pain. And what about everybody else? Well, no, I'm not going to get into all the categories in this study because, like I said before, it's comprehensive. But they went on to look at swimming and its benefits for other medical conditions such as pregnancy, cancer, mental health, dementia and cognitive decline, cerebral palsy, learning disabilities, autism. And in the end, they concluded that there is growing recognition that exercise can cross many boundaries and meet the well-being needs of the population from cradle to grave. Now, I know many of us have fond memories of going to swimming lessons as children, playing in the community outdoor pool on a hot day, splashing around in a lake or the ocean on vacation, and perhaps even competing in some local, provincial, or national swim meets. Who knew all the good we were doing while having all that fun? And forever associating the bleachy, acrid smell of chlorine with the happy, nervous moments of seeing and being seen in your bathing suit. Now, I for one am sold, and I'm right now heading to the pool to do some drills, practice my flip turns, and reap all the benefits that swimming has to offer. <laughs> Who's with me? If you're a lifelong swim fan like me, or you have questions about how to incorporate swimming into your routine, well, head over to facebook.com slash getfitguy, or twitter.com slash getfitguy, and shoot me a note. Or just head over to quickanddirtytips.com and search for this episode, episode number 349. Now, I'm Brock Armstrong, the Get Fit Guy, asking you, what are you waiting for? Go get fit.